Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out, and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today on the podcast, I talk to Lauren Plunkett. She's a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. She is here to talk to us about thriving with a vegan lifestyle and type 1 diabetes. Here we go. This podcast is supported by North. North's mission is to provide unique and innovative cannabis products to help bring peace, calm, and healthy alternatives to their consumers. All of their products have been meticulously designed and formulated by co-founders Brandon and Mike to ensure that their customers receive nothing but the highest quality. Currently, they offer three product lines, Vibes, a THC CBD seltzer, gummies, THC gummies, and fusions, a CBD wellness beverage. I'm a huge fan of the THC CBD seltzer. My current favorite flavor, blackberry mango. Use code CARLY15 to get 15% off your order at drinkthenorth.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y-1-5, or hit the link in the show notes. Enjoy drinking the North. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast after meeting you at VegFest. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you came to the presentation um, and, and heard all of that. It's such a unique place to get to bring this topic of of nutrition too. I mean, an actual like veg fest, it's the biggest in the Midwest being in St. Paul. It's who'd have thought. <laughs> yeah. I'm so to give the listeners a little context here, we connected in the twin cities at veg fest and I saw your presentation and I, I mean, just a few minutes in, I was like, she's got to be on the podcast because <laughs> your energy, your knowledge, and just the way you approached the conversation was really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was really inspiring. So I'm, I'm glad to have you here for all the listeners too. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm glad to, um, you know, I, I love the the tone of your podcast that it has this sort of, you know, this mind, body, spirit element to it that I think is something that we need to talk about so much more since I've been in this clinical world all my life really. Mm. And, um, there are so many things that we should be talking about or, or that for people to feel like they should be able to talk about. And if it's not the time or place with a healthcare professional because they're credentialed with all these things after their names. Well, it's, it's time then for the, for the, uh, the credentialed person to invite these conversations to start happening. So we can actually get to the root of why so many people need to upgrade their health. Yes. Yes. Thank you. I I appreciate that too. Um, Let's start there. Let's start with your journey to plant-based eating. I think that's a good kind of place to start here. There's a lot, there's a lot of things I'm like circling through in my head. I'm like, okay, let's start here. Yeah. It's a bit of a story, isn't it? Um, well, I guess it begins with me being, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was 11 and I've got to give this background because I went through so much to get to the point where I knew that I needed to make different choices. Right. And when you, when you're diagnosed as a kid, food takes on a really different role in your life. Mm. Um, you know, the, the thing with type one diabetes is what people should, should know that they may not really have, have gathered here is that 500 million people on the planet have diabetes Five, wow. it's over 500 million. And it is exponentially increasing because of our environment, our lifestyle choices, the way that we are living, um, less than 10% of those have 
type one diabetes. And what that means is I don't make wow. any insulin at all. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Insulin's a hormone. It's super, super important. It's not the bad guy. It's a necessity. And, um, in type two diabetes, your body's not using it efficiently. There are things you can do to improve that, but in type one, I don't make any at all. Um, it's an mm. autoimmune attack. Yeah. So, so one day my body kind of decided the beta, the beta cells, these guys that make insulin are the bad guys. So we're going to off with them. So how did, if I can interrupt real quick, Yeah, I'm just curious at 11, what was going on that led to this diagnosis? Really sick. Um, it's, it's hard to say how quickly it came on. I was actually diagnosed around this time of the year in the fall. I, I, I mm. need to try to get my diagnosis mm. date, but, but over the course of the summer, um, I was, you know, at that age, you're a kid that's supposed to be growing and things are going to start changing with your body, which is prime time for your autoimmunity to be like, okay, something off here. Mm. And I had just pale and skinny. My dad described it as my eyes were so sunken in. And, um, the thirsty, I was in sixth grade living at the water fountain and cotton mouth. Um, what it is, is essentially your body starting to eat itself alive because it can't hold on to any fluid or nutrition just to show you how important insulin is. It is the reason why we can, uh, move blood sugar from our bloodstream as we start to break down nutrition into these glucose molecules and puts it into the cell and the cell uses it for pure fuel. Yeah. So I couldn't, I, since I had no fuel. No fuel. Yeah. The fuel was actually trapped in my bloodstream because you can think of insulin as almost like an Uber. It is. the. This I love these analogies. This helps with my non-scientific <laughs> yeah. thinking brain. So keep them coming. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a taxi. Um, and, and it, there's a lot of enzyme activity and this leads to this and blah, 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 blah. But the short of it and what people should understand in the world of diabetes is that if you are, if your metabolism is not working efficiently, insulin is insufficient we need to create an environment that works smarter and not harder. However, mm. my body stopped making insulin, period. So there was no there was no transportation system between these little energy molecules in my blood sugar and the cell. So in the meantime, my cells are starving. Wow. And my blood sugar is skyrocketing. So with, with that happening, it's almost like a state of just being overfed, but you can't do anything with your food. Wow. And yet you're you're, I'm peeing all this nutrition out. Um, I was hungry. My appetite was really strange. And I, I talk about this in my book, actually. It's kind of a funny thing how like I'd come home from school and I just wanted crunch bars and, and, and Coke because I was craving sugar so bad. My yeah. cells were getting it, but it was trapped in my blood. So it was just this, this nonsense that happens between these, this function that stops functioning. Which right there, right there is enough for me to also see how that at 11, already and as a, as being socialized as a woman at 11 a young woman in this world yeah. with with the pressures of body and food i i can only imagine how hard that relationship with food could become it's coming carly it's coming. <laughs> i'm getting ahead yeah. of the story right the way this is going to unfold um has so much to do with the way i practice today and how my own story changed everything for me mm. when i started writing a bit more but yeah, you know, you're 11 year, years old and your body is about to start changing. I wasn't quite aware of everything that was about to just be this like um, hormonal apocalypse. <laughs> it was about to 
happen within the next couple of weeks. That's the best description, hormonal apocalypse. (laughs) If that's not the description of puberty, I don't know what is. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the mental meltdown that comes along with everything else that you're watching happen, but yeah, I get diagnosed. And and the thing that's hard is that you start learning about food as a label, food becomes a Mm -hmm. gram, food becomes a measurement. And I, this is a long time ago now, but I was taught to weigh everything. And the, the thing is it's safety. Yeah. You're, you're taught this because of safety, because you need to be able to dose your insulin appropriately. But what's missing from the conversation is you're probably going to have a really screwed up relationship with food for probably the rest of your life (laughs) in particular. Doesn't come with a warning label. No, it doesn't come with a warning label. And you know, I I can't put words in the mouths of every single clinician out there. These conversations might be happening somewhere, but I don't think they are happening often enough. Mm-hmm. And certainly in the overwhelming world of being diagnosed as a kid, you can imagine there are kids younger than me diagnosed. There are kids older than me diagnosed, but you can imagine the place that parents are in. Oh my gosh, is my child going to survive this? Yeah. So there's so much fear around it. So of course we come home, we do the thing, we go through the motions. I've clearly I've survived. So we did something right. But then, um, the puberty, you know, the hormonal apocalypse begins. My body starts to change. Blood sugar becomes really erratic. My appetite's just nuts. Um, I, I describe it as gaining weight faster than a mouse in a Twinkie factory. (laughs) So here's, here's the thing about it. Um, my body was starving at diagnosis. I wasn't holding on to nutrition. So inevitably what happens is when you start injecting insulin, your body goes, Oh yes, let's start putting on some weight because we're holding nutrition. It's the nature of the body. It should happen, but it happened really fast, Oof. really, really fast. Um, I think I was just about done growing at that point. So I wasn't going to get any taller, but my body was just I mean, all of these things. So in the process of me having this very odd relationship with food, what happened was I started to want the things I was told not to have. Of course. Nature, honestly, my, it's just my rebellious nature, but it has a lot to do with when blood sugars are erratic, a lot of, you know, highs and then you're dropping lows and insulin is supposed to help regulate this is that it really confuses your hunger hormones when you are hungry, mm-hmm. when you're full. And I was sort of trapped in this space all the time of being afraid that my blood sugar was going to drop too low. Food treats the low blood sugar while insulin treats the high blood sugar. So you start to develop this weird relationship with food thinking, hold on, the foods that make me take insulin, are they bad? And you start attaching words like this, right? Goods and bads yeah. to food in your relationship. And I know we didn't talk about this a lot at VegFest, but it's sort of, it's this collection of things I had to learn about myself in order to talk about the things at VegFest that I do. Um, no, I'm here for this. This background yeah. is so, <laughs> is so important, right? Because it gives, it gives this, um, this concept of, you know, type one diabetes or nutrition, it, it gives it a story. And then we remember it because that story is so powerful. So I'm so here for this, yeah. please. Oh, cool. Yeah. No, it's great. I, and I can even, you know, get into how I've learned other people's stories. And right. I mean, everybody's got a story that impacts their health and this is what I did with mine. So, um, okay. So growing up, all right. So difficult relationship with food, my rebellious nature, I'm wanting the things I can't have, but really there's physiology involved in this, the physiology of, um, I'm, I'm trying to prevent low blood sugars with food, but I'm taking insulin for that food and I'm taking insulin for carbohydrates and specifically. So Mm. that's where this carbs are bad nonsense comes from. Mm. 
And in the first place, those glucose molecules in the blood that are the source of fuel, they only come from carbohydrates. Um, yes, we can do other things to survive. And that's a totally another conversation, how our body can work with other things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez, you're I know, I'm, I can see it. <laughs> I'm just like, oh no. And not to you, just yeah. to the, uh, you know, and we can get into that too, with all these fad diets that are just bullshit. That's a, that's next. Yeah, We could do a part two on that one. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. You want to, you want to get me fired up. We can go there. Um, but, I'm, but I'm just so because ready. of what I've learned. Speaking of what put me in the hospital in the first place, when I was really sick, this 11 year old skeleton is this thing called diabetic ketoacidosis. It means your body is overloaded and is metabolic ketoacidosis process. It's um, your body essentially eating itself alive to try to find fuel wherever it can. But in the process of that, because I'm not making insulin, my blood sugar is going to skyrocket. And that's where the Mm. dangerous place begins. Um, that's the thing that I would not have survived if my parents didn't take me in to the doctor when they did, I would have probably, um, you know, there are a number of things that can happen in that state. And people, even after diagnosis, they can fall into DKA, uh, when their blood sugars are running too high too often. So you can imagine this difficult relationship with food. Um, if you decide that you don't want to take your insulin because you're tired of having diabetes, that's not on the table. There's no being tired of diabetes. It is a job that will never go away. Um, that's a lot of pressure for a young person. I'm imagining myself at 11 eating, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and Swiss cake rolls and not having (laughs) to think twice. Cause I have, you know, the highest metabolism and just not worrying about food in any way. That's a privilege of course, too. I didn't have to worry about where it was coming from, but also just never thinking about that. I mean, that's so much pressure for a young person. Well, you grew up fast. I mean, I, I, you know, you asked me about my memories before diagnosis and, and there, there aren't many, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, I kind of think of where I was as as I was a little kid before 11, but after I was diagnosed, I grew up, I was grown at that point. I was giving myself insulin. I was giving myself a shot in my thigh within that first year before I was 12 years old, you know, poking my fingers, testing my blood sugar. If you, you, you have this will to survive and all of us that are diagnosed have a different story attached to them. And, and I'm very thankful for having parents that said, we're going to do this. We're going to get this. And by the way, you're a normal kid. You are not going to stop playing any, doing anything that you want to do. Um, we're not going to stop. We're going to try to work at this and understand it. But then you have a responsibility to um, t- to read your body and take care of yourself, which I think is a fas- fascinating skill that people with diabetes develop is a very mm. sharp intuition mm. if they're willing to pay attention to it, just like everyone. It's an act is of that- survival, it seems. Yes. It's the intuitive ability to feel these low blood sugars coming on. Some people with diabetes do not have that ability to feel the lows. Unfortunately, it's another um, unfortunate event within our metabolism and okay. autoimmunity. Yeah. And, and this, this um, um, autoimmune dysfunction that happens is the inability to feel those low blood sugars coming on. But for many of us, we can feel the difference between a high and a low, even if we can't mm-hmm. see what our blood sugar is in the moment. So being able to read that understanding, I'm not thinking clearly, what is my blood sugar doing? So what most people don't have to do if they don't feel well is say, what is my blood sugar like right now? And that is what our world revolves around. So here's where this continues to progress is self-worth becoming tied to data. Oof. Yes. So can you imagine having your blood drawn 
And a doctor says, this is too high. It's not good. Inherently, you're hearing at a young age without this, you know, skill set to process through that is I'm bad. I didn't do good. I screwed yes, up. You come up with these words. It can be things like, um, you know, self, so self-worth tied to data, meaning, well, this value of my blood sugar isn't good. So I'm bad. I'm the bad one. That food is bad. I'm, but what's, what was scary for me is I was trying so hard and it's like, why am I not getting this? I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Right. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. I still like sugar. I still like, I still, you know, kid food, right. Crappy processed stuff that that I think a lot of us grew up with thinking like, that's what you're supposed to eat. And Mm -hmm. it's standard American diet. It comes in. However, my mom made sure we had a balanced dinner. Um, Mm. but it was, it, it was cereal for breakfast. There is convenience and trying to figure out that we're, we're counting carbohydrates here. We're doing these things that we're taught to do in diabetes in order to take insulin and be safe. But what is this creating in your emotional state? What does that create in your relationship with your body or your body image? Mm. Whether, you know, no matter what your gender is, this can be a situation. Mm-hmm. So then, um, and I'm at, I mean, putting on top of it, like being in the middle of class and not feeling well and having a low blood sugar come on. And then you have to bail and go drink juice in the bathroom. Cause you don't want your classmates to see it. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's, that's gosh. And then, and so you're like a middle schooler teenager now at this point, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just kind of, um, day over day. It's just trying to, okay. Um, stay alive, <laughs> eat, do your thing with insulin and then go to the clinic every three months and basically have them tell you that you should be doing better. Every three was, months. Yeah. Every three months as a kid, you go in, um, when you're in the pediatric world, you, it's a, it's a three month thing, which is great. Oh. It's a time for parents to ask questions. It right. should be a positive experience. Yeah. But it's, um, it can be, it can be damaging just because you're feeling judged and you don't know how to express this because diabetes is so unique and it runs so deep into who you are. I didn't have access at that time to a therapist. Um, I know there are therapists mm. in diabetes now, and I love talking to diabetes therapists as an adult, <laughs> like at conferences that I go to or people that I met, I shared an office with a therapist for a while and I would hear her and I'd be like, oh, that was me. You know, that was me. I'm hearing you. Like, oh, I was that kid. I was so yeah. angry, Carly. I, my anger was in, I mean, I still have that. <laughs> where were you? Um, I'm curious where were, cause you're that anger. I can see it's valid for so many reasons, but I'm curious, where were you placing the anger? Were you mad at yourself? Were you mad at your body? Were you mad at the doctors? Were you mad at food? Like where, where was that pointed towards? I think that, sorry, we're really getting into it. (laughs) No. Yeah, no, I love this because it's, um, it kind of, it makes me think from a different perspective of, of what it would look like on the outside. Yeah, where I was because you know, I had my parents constantly, you know, watching that they're watching me grow up and becoming more independent. But what, the internal turmoil was really the thing about why don't I understand this more? Right. I'm I'm not mad at diabetes. It wasn't it wasn't like why do I have this? I know that's a different emotion that a lot of people with diabetes have because they get angry and they think why me? I was right. never a why me. Yeah, I was never a why me person. I think I I'm a pretty good adapter at the hand that I'm given. <laughs> I was given a lot of hands after this going because I got older because of what this did to my personality, the the internal turmoil of, um, I don't like my body, but I don't want anyone to see that. I don't like my body because I can't, I can't change anything right now. And I also thought that because of diabetes, there are 
things I couldn't get good at. Like I couldn't be a better Mm. athlete because of my blood sugars. And my intensity really was, came through the physical body um, Mm. and became very intense. And that anger came through my physical body. So in the sports that I played in high school, I had days where I was so good at what I was doing because I just, I could generate a lot of power through a baseball bat <laughs> yep. or through yep. hitting a volleyball or through throwing. And I have, I have the family genetics to be athletic, but I, I was so inconsistent. Interesting. And what's amazing. Yeah. And what's amazing. And this is another thing I get super nerdy about is I love studying sports nutrition in two ways. Um, sports nutrition and good evidence-based studies can teach people a lot about their bodies who aren't trying to be elite athletes. When mm-hmm. I started to study sports nutrition, I started to understand a lot more about metabolism that helped me answer those why questions I had when I was a kid. Why am I not doing better at this? Why don't I better here? Mm-hmm. And so I started to then put these two things together as to, well, my blood sugars were so erratic that it was causing my emotions to bounce from one side to the next, but also it was adjusting my vision a little bit sometimes too, where I wasn't seeing a ball as well as I should have been. Wow. Um, I had horrible leg cramps. My legs were kind of like spasming that had a lot to do with high blood sugars and dehydration. They are working wow. together. So I wasn't being taught these things in the clinic, although I wasn't going to the clinic and talking like a clinician and saying, please explain why this is happening in this moment as a 15 year old girl. It was down the road that I realized I needed to be talked to as a normal person first. (laughs) And with the words we never want to use anymore, diabetic as a label, I was treated as a diabetic, as the disease itself, not a person. Not someone with. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. We're complex creatures, right? And diabetes affects the whole system, just like our entire system affects diabetes. So we need to crack that conversation open, talk about the head to toe effect, how everything here is working together and we should eat to treat the whole person. And this conversation about controlling food so much to treat blood sugar 100% of the time was the thing that was backfiring on me because I was Mm -hmm. turning away from pretty much all of these good carbohydrates, but in the process, starving my body of the glucose it needs the most. And when you do that, yeah. you crave sugar like a beast. <laughs> yeah. I already crave sugar like a beast. I can only imagine yeah. that that is your experience. And I'm, I'm curious what, uh, if you think there's been any growth in the, uh, sense of like young athletes, I was also an athlete in school. Um, and I think, oh God, I think back I'm, I'm in a rural town in Minnesota. So we had to travel for any game. And we stop at the gas station and get food before the game. And I, I had a meal that I had every time before a volleyball game. And it like makes me nauseous to think about now, but it was a half pounder hot pocket, (laughs) a package of Oreo cakesters, kettle chips, and a Coca-Cola. That was me pre-gaming for like varsity volleyball. And I think now I'm like, wow, the fact that nutrition isn't any part of the conversation with young people working their bodies, you know, arguably too hard is, Mm -hmm. do you think there's been any progress in that? Well, there's so many layers to it. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, what, what young people are doing. I have a a very athletic niece and nephew also that I, I often wonder what access do they have to professional professionals outside of their coaches? Because that's different. Let's stay in our lane here, athletes. 
um, yes. about what nutrition is because it's very individualized and has so much to do with where we live, where we grow up, our environment, our culture. There is such a deep layer of conversations here that need to happen for every single athlete. But yeah, what what is amazing about it is there are professionals that can do this. And I'm not talking about your random Instagram video. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that that's that's the layer, right? Where kids are going to yeah. be going and listening to whatever it is. And I worry about gymnasts. I worry about skaters. I worry about right where, where weight and the size of your body and this consciousness is even bigger now. And it always yeah. has been. Yep. And 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 that I mean I can look at that too from the eyes of now someone with diabetes looking at that at the same time like I have this internal condition that I can't change and and even as an adult I'm I'm seeing women post videos of these things and I see what they're exposing and am mm. I going to like cheer for this confidence or is it just going to make me internalize that I'm not there and I mm. think that's what's really hard for like a lot of young athletes is. I can see someone that's so confident and does all the, all these things going on as, as they're posting their, their pictures of themselves being fit in a bikini. I mean, if you look at what track athletes wear, what gymnasts wear, there's a whole lot of skin there and we're not all that comfortable with it. I sure as heck wasn't as I have like injection sites all over my thighs, Oh wow! you know, I've got marks, um, you know, people are wearing insulin pumps. They've got sensors and glucose sensors and things like that. Like I have a glucose sensor on my stomach. I don't really want that out there. Although if I never considered that ever in, shy the, about in my it, privilege. Yeah. yeah. It's just, um, that's where, again, where like everybody has a story with what, how they're internalizing and processing what they're taking in and nutrition. What we put into our body is what we get out of our body. Kids have an advantage to just go and have a gas station dinner and then quite possibly still perform really well. Because the thing is for growing kids, especially as athletes, you have the high, they have the highest calorie needs, the highest nutritional needs. So their body is just a total machine. It's going to take that and do what it needs to do with it. No matter what, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you have like a very uncomfortable experience in the bathroom afterwards, which is a result <laughs> of a lot of these things too. Lots sure of fat, is. <laughs> lots of sugar. Yeah. Um, is, is what can happen too. But, um, but yeah, the, the layers to that are who is that person? How individualized can we get? What sport are they in? This podcast is supported by Parade Underwear. Parade believes that the materials that touch your skin should be as comfortable as possible wherever life takes you. That's why their styles come in a large range of fabrics from seamless universal that disappears under clothes to cozy waffles plush comfort that keep you comfy on every occasion. Parade understands that everyone deserves to express themselves however they choose, because we're all unique. And Parade knows that there's no parade without our planet. They strive to make all of their products from reclaimed, recycled, responsible, renewable, or regenerative materials. This is really a win-win-win. I love Parade. I've been wearing them for a while now, and I can't recommend them enough. And of course, we love the mission. Use code consciously.carly for 20% off your first order. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-Y dot C-A-R-L-Y, consciously.carly. Enjoy your new undies. This podcast is supported by Will's Vegan Store. Will's Vegan Store has been a vegan company at the front of vegan clothing and sustainable fashion since they launched in 2013 by their founder, Will Green. 
they produce the most beautiful, vegan, sustainably made shoes, clothing, and accessories. I have been obsessed with this brand for years now. They were one of the first vegan brands that I really made the switch to. It can be hard to thrift shoes, but I love knowing that if I'm going to purchase a pair of shoes from Will's Vegan Store, they are going to be ethically made, their workers are protected, they don't use plastic packaging, they're delivered in an environmentally friendly way. It's truly the most amazing company to support. So if you're ready to try them yourself, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you. When I started right. reading about these things, yeah, um, endurance athletes, power athletes, there's all things to talk about. When I started to learn more about sports nutrition was when a huge door just bashed open for me to start understanding mm. my body better. And so as I kind of get up to graduate in high school, I became so independent that I was like, I'm getting out of here. And I moved to Florida within weeks of graduating from high school in Minnesota. And wow. yeah, I was running away from my life. I was running away from diabetes. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. You can't do fair that. Enough. Yeah, you can't do fair that. Enough. So um, I got, I, I just wasn't getting better, came to a fork in the road, like Lauren, you're either going to get healthier or you're not. Lots of experiences happened in between. I was at the lowest point ever with just like body image and um, the I imagine mental health, mental health. Why is everything so hard? The rates of like depression and anxiety are so high in people with diabetes. There are statistics on eating disorders, but then I think the other side of that is just the language of having a disordered related food, I think is the majority of people with diabetes, whether they have acquired it or they were taught how to yes. have a disordered relationship with food. Cause a lot of people are diagnosed and they are told to go into some random fad diet, right? away. Oh my gosh. That's particularly in type two, type two diabetes gets that. Oh, you're supposed to lose weight. So do this restrictive diet, come back and see me in four weeks. And then they're just miserable. And there's a whole nother conversation with that, um, with, with, within type two diabetes. So anyway, I moved to Florida. I'm running away from my life. Can't do that. And this work <laughs> in the road happens, yeah. <laughs> work in the road happens, get healthier or don't. And I would say over, over the next several years, um, I started to just change my mindset around, I need to embrace this disease. I need to learn as much as possible about this thing that I have in my body, in my heart, in my mind. Um, I'm going to live like it's not going anywhere because I have to, I don't have a choice or mm -hmm. every single day is going to be terrible. So how am I going to upgrade my thinking, my everything? Yeah. So it, it was moving back home. And uh, again, there's some timelines here that kind of shifted where there were just things that I had to set in motion, job changes, complete environmental changes, surrounding myself with healthier people, looking ah. for people with diabetes that were doing things that I wished I was doing. That's what actually blew my mind as I came across mm. some athletes with type one <laughs> who I was like, um, mythical creatures. Yeah. What? Didn't know this was possible. No. And I had not, I had only met a few people type one in my whole life and they were not doing well. So I just kind of was like, well, which camp am I in? Right. It's, is this my destiny to be sick and not age well? And who knows, you know, what will happen from there? So it was scary. I had really scary, dark days. Um, yeah. And I did not know how to feed myself, even though I had access to a dietitian yearly. It was the same conversation every single year. Count carbs, take your insulin, see you later. Um, 
And that, so I mean, be, truly that was, that was the information provided for you. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, evidence-based information protocols about how to t- teach someone with type one diabetes to survive doesn't necessarily go really deep into tell me about your relationship with food. So like to survive, not to thrive. You got it. Yeah. And also there's a time crunch in the clinical environment, but I think what's also lacking is how many people have diabetes that are working there Mm. with less than 10% of us having type one. Um, there are diabetes camps around for kids. There are plenty of clubs. There are, you know, community outreach and things like that for people type one to get together, to feel more, um, welcomed and not alone. And I, I was not someone that that gravitated towards that. I kind of probably suffered in solitude, but I also needed solitude to try to understand myself. I didn't want to take on anybody else's um, stories. I I was not Mm -hmm. in a place to be prepared for that as I do now take on a lot of stories. Um, So yeah, in this process, I kind of thought, well, a day came where I decided let's just eat more greens. Let's just Mm. start eating more of the things that everyone says are healthy. So essentially I was being defiant by walking away from this stand, this standard, I quote, diabetic diet of um, meat and cheese don't have carbohydrates in them. They won't raise your blood sugar. So eat that stuff. Wow. With an autoimmune disease, you are encouraging people to eat more processed animal inflaming products. food. There you go. So nobody knows anything about that because what we're now focusing on is you can see how the relationship between insulin and carbohydrates can be so dark at that point because you think taking insulin is maybe bad or are the carbs bad or like I'm supposed to eat this way, but there's this catch 22 constantly happening. And now, well, yeah, I ate pasta. My blood sugar went up and the doctor is going to give me a bad time. And, And you kind of create this narrative of just what are they going to tell me next time I go into the clinic? That's going to make me feel bad about myself as if I don't already feel terrible enough. (laughs) Yeah. So um, self-worth tied to data. Okay. So um, just start eating more greens. And I remember I was with a friend and we went out to eat somewhere. And I said, this is going to be the last cheeseburger I ever eat. Just going to stop eating meat. Just them. And just, I like my animals alive was what Mm. I said. Yeah. And I've, I've grown up being very sensitive to animals, but that disassociation of, I thought chickens made chicken. I didn't know a chicken was the chicken. You that know? cognitive dissonance is yes. powerful. Right. And, 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 you know, the, the food business and food marketing and all of these things that I just, I needed to raise my awareness. And that just came from, I need to be a human understanding what's on my plate a little bit better because food yeah. seems to be the center of my universe as a person with diabetes, which is a fact. 500 million, the food's the center of all of our universes. And with diabetes, it's just that much more apparent. Um, From there, what happened scientifically is I was taking so I was, I was taking in so much more fiber Hmm. and (laughs) yeah, and anti-inflammatory and whole foods. I wasn't going, um, you know, I decided that I was going to stop eating meat. So I was going in the direction of being vegetarian, but over time I had stopped drinking milk just because I didn't want it. I knew that I shouldn't start my morning off with sugary cereal. So I started doing high fiber toast with peanut butter on it. Mm -hmm. Um, There was common sense involved in this, but it was much more of, 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 of changing my physiology from the inside. I didn't even know I was doing. So my blood sugar starts going low all the time. Like what's going on here? How come I need less insulin? I'm eating more carbohydrates than I ever have before. 
<laughs> I bet this was a wild feeling. It was crazy. And I was like, I'm a study of one. I have outsmarted <laughs> diabetes. I have I all won. the answers. I won, I won yeah, the I game. <laughs> I'm it. I found it. Um, I'm not curing anything. I still need, I still need insulin because I'm a human being, but yep. I need less. And it was like my body, the shape of my body was changing. This, this happened over the course of a few months, but I went to my doctor and she's looking at my numbers. She's like, Whoa, we got to cut your insulin back. I was like, yeah, I'm going low all the time. And I had already backed off on my insulin as well. But, um, she kind of said, okay, let's just be a little bit more intensive here. And I'll see you a bit more often until we get this figured out. Just keep doing what you're doing. Dietitians didn't have any answers either. I mean, whole foods, plant-based nutrition. This was 13 years ago, by the way, over 13 years ago now. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, let's help you carb count hummus. I mean, that's literally like what we talked about in this. Yeah. And they were straight out of school. So not, so here's the thing, just, I want to interject. I, have dietitians that I think are amazing in my circle. They're amazing, amazing. Like I am, have met people that mean so much to me that are dietitians, but I became a dietitian because I never met one I liked. Yeah. That's why I became a dietitian within my horrid experience. So there is something really not okay with training um, that's been going on for decades in the clinics when it comes to dietitian training. And I think a lot of dietitians, dietitians would agree with that. So that's where I'm coming from there. But so yeah, no help. Um, and I went home and continued to do my thing. I had more energy than I knew what to do with. I started walking and then I started jogging a little bit. And then I took a spin class and then my whole life changed. <laughs> I finally found the workout that matched my super hot personality. Mm. It's intense. I love music. Um, and I, I said, I want to teach and it just so happened that the athletes with type one that I had found that became my inspiration, they were cyclists. Mm. So I was like, okay, let's do this. And then I just, I, I basically spent all this time on my own learning more about my body. I got further into plant-based nutrition. I realized that I was, I was recovering better. I wasn't having low blood sugars as much anymore. I understood what fiber was. Um, my life completely changed because I walked away from the standard way of teaching nutrition and diabetes. I went into the plant world and decided now I'm going to become a dietitian. The dietitian thing happened first. The spin instructors came later, but, um, my first semester at university of Minnesota here, it just so happened that this diabetes educator sat up right next to me and I thought she was going to start lecturing me. Cause I had like so many, like I had like falafel on my plate and like all it's the pile of vegetables. I just was like, no mercy, like it's free food carbs. at the university. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat all the carbs. Right. But they were whole plant-based foods. And I knew that I needed to eat right. Like a good amount because I was going to be teaching spin later that day. Mm. Or I was going to be, or I was going to be training for it or something. She sits down next to me and, and I'm ready for her to start lecturing me. And then I just told her I'm having lows all the time. I'm starting to get a handle on it, but I have more energy than I know what to do with. And I'm eating vegetarian. So don't try to tell me what to do. And she pretty much said, I know what's happening to you. It's the fiber. And I was like, what are you talking about? Um, I'm a study of one. So she ended up being my mentor. She gave me just stacks of things to read. Um, And from there, I was on on point mm. with what is this plant-based nutrition thing? Give me the research. I want the clinical evidence. So, so it just so happens that the evidence on high fiber nutrition as beneficial for blood sugar goes back to the seventies. Why aren't we talking about this? 
screaming it from the rooftop. So where my childhood anger was now it's about to blow. <laughs> Why do I right. know? Mm-hmm. That feels right. It feels, you feel lied to. You feel like you didn't get information that could have changed your life sooner. And that's feels bad. Yeah. It, it feel, it just felt like this is a thing and it's mostly focused in type two diabetes. Cause it's quite hard to study um, people with type one with such unique individual experiences and studies like what they are doing in type two with nutrition and the control factor of it. But it was the same principle of insulin resistance. Um, Why Mm. would I have to take more insulin? I'm gaining weight when I'm a kid. I'm taking more and more insulin. I don't want to eat this much food. It doesn't seem like the balance here is right. I want to eat the right amount of food for my body, for, for my physiology, not to try to meet the insulin first. I want the insulin designed to meet me. And it was Mm. happening the other way around. I was just being told to take this much insulin. So I'd eat more to meet the insulin values first. And it should have been the the other direction is let's help to regulate your appetite. And then we're going to try to figure out how much insulin is going to work for you. So all of this is just, you know, waking me up at night, like my experience as a child, all of these things have happened. The research has been here for decades. Thank goodness I have met my mentor here that is going to pull me out of this sinking quicksand, although I had already started eating more whole plant foods and feeling better. But now I had my my evidence that I wasn't a study of one. This has been going on. Why aren't we doing this more often? This should be step one. So then I, I went on to become a dietitian, And in the process of that, I was told I wasn't going to graduate, that I was had way too much of an attitude. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> A woman with an opinion. How rude of you. Well, I was mad. I was pissed. I mean, I was mad because now what I'm doing oh, yeah. is I'm sitting in the, yeah, I'm sitting in these medical classes and I'm seeing how dietitians are being taught. And I thought, no wonder nobody has any counseling skills here. We're not talking about how to communicate. Um, so. And it you was, brought that up, obviously, and they didn't well, like it. I sat there and brewed and just got mad um, and wondering, am I, am I going to make it? Am I going to get credentialed here? Because I need to see what's on the inside more. I need to get that registered dietitian credential so that I can continue to be on both sides of the curtain here. I want to be the patient and the professional. And what that meant was I had to get in the trench, understand what was wrong so that I could change it. Mm. So, um, I ended up teaching, I ended up being a dietitian in the same place I was diagnosed, which was never the plan. (laughs) Life is funny, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that was where, um, there's some very interesting things happen about me feeling like I was in the closet as a vegan Mm. dietitian, as a person, personally as a vegan, but now as a plant-based dietitian and trying to understand how can I make friends with all kinds of eaters? How can I introduce Mm. this method of nutrition? Two people who aren't going to have had 15 years of crappy experiences like I do to make this shift. How can I introduce this fiber forward method of, of eating? And so it took me some, some years there to really develop my communication skills further into how to make friends with all kinds of eaters, how to have conversations with hunters. I've even mm-hmm. had conversations with people who have diabetes working in slaughterhouses, which make me cry hearing about what their experiences are. They're often from other yeah. countries as well, and they come here. And they lose their native um, cultural um, foods and they start eating what they, this environment that they work in. And, and they get sick. And they get diagnosed. Yeah. Um, 
it's, it's just, it was almost, it's been just a very heavy learning experience while um, now ob- obtaining other people's stories. So when I was working in the clinic that I was diagnosed in, I started writing down all the things that I knew I shouldn't say out loud <laughs> to protect myself. I really appreciate you. I feel a kindred <laughs> spirit here a little bit. Yeah, it's a good space, right? It is. I mean, I had just napkins. I had just notes, scratch paper, everything. And that essentially turned into my book. Um, was taking these things and how to how do I help people learn something through my story while using my professional voice to explain why this was happening in this particular situation? Why was I going through this and what would have helped me at the moment? And then really focusing on the nutrition that saved my life and the mentality around exercise that has um, brought me into just this feeling like I'm aging in reverse. It's just, it's, mm. as I talk about that, you know, like working smarter, not harder, being, becoming an efficient machine. I can't tell people enough how, if you're just dipping your toe in plant-based nutrition, um, you are, take that leap because you are about to feel something that you probably haven't felt ever. And it's the feeling of being healthy. I didn't know what that felt like. I was always tired. My blood sugars were all over the place. I felt bummed all the time. Um, there isn't this cure for happy, healthy body image, but there are things we can do to instill a little bit of love back into like, I do care about myself and here's how I'm going yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, exercise that matches our personality, um, eating. I love what, you know, how you said that exercise <laughs> that matches your personality. I've talked with people about that too, you know, as, as more of just like an overall conscious living coach, not necessarily just mm-hmm. focused on nutrition, but getting people to be healthier and happier. It's like, if you hate running, don't run. <laughs> like, yeah. that's okay. That's, uh, I love that you said that. I mm-hmm. really love that you said mm. that. Yeah. It's, um, it's great that you're, you've seen it. Like it, it's come to you as well, because it's not like I'm coming up with concepts out of nowhere. Everybody has this in them to recognize, but we are so into torturing ourselves to be healthy that we completely forget what we actually need internally and how that fits into our specific environment and our like non-negotiables, yes. you know, where we live, yep. family, our jobs, you know, there are things that might shift over time, but how can we be healthy in every single moment of where we are? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not so impossible. And I think it's funny because I take, I've taken a boot camp class and I absolutely hated it. And that's crazy intense, right? But where in where indoor cycling fits my personality is in that solitary internal stuff that can come up on the safety of a bicycle. <laughs> and that's where I've been able to sort of express that and then have fun with all these people that come in that take class with me. And I'm, you know, we joke and we call it anger management, um, you know, in class. And I say, guys, this is where you come to get, this is your safe place to let this stuff out, burn this through your legs. We're going to use this through the whole body. So I've really turned indoor cycling into this kind of like holistic thing where it's, it's not, yeah, it is. It's not what a lot of cycling classes are um, in in the way I've teach. So ten years later, I'm I'm, I'm still teaching, but um, but yeah, that that has been such a vital part of my life managing the fact that I don't make any insulin, and I'm never gonna on my own. It's uh, it's it's where you meet these these worlds come together. So, um, you know, 45 minutes here of, of talking about <laughs> that time. Oh my gosh. But, um, time has gone so fast. Cause I'm just, I'm riveted by how <laughs> not only your story, but just your, your ability to persevere through some bullshit. <laughs> I mean, really <laughs> that's like, that's a, that's a hand you were dealt and 
Um, and for those who, who haven't gotten to where you are, it's not a judgment, but it really is inspiring to see someone say, this is something I have no choice but to deal with. So I'm going to make it work for me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it speaks to a lot of people that feel you know, like traumas don't go away either. We have to learn to live with them and work with them. Um, I think that what I've had is a traumatic relationship with food. And that is a, um, a phrase I don't think is used very often in diabetes, but we yeah. develop traumatic relationships with um, a number of things really. But when it comes to food, it is the ultimate source of our existence. We have to come to a safe space with nutrition. Um, and that may speak to people of all different, you know, not just diabetes here, but um, chronic conditions in general or preventive health or over exercisers um, or, or just athletes trying to get better is that we don't need to biohack ourselves to anything. What we need to do is understand our systems better and learn how to work with it efficiently. And then we're onto something. But we got to yeah. uncover some layers of who we are to get there. Like I did, I had to peel back all sorts of dark stuff to yeah. um, figure out what worked for me. But I was also intuitive about, I need to just figure out wh what the healthy foods are, where they are, and how to surround myself with them. Get better at grocery shopping and yeah. some of the basics. It, it, it isn't um, removing the rules, I guess. That was where I was going to go with that. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you, I know um, we've, let me start over. <laughs> I I'm curious for someone who's like hearing this story and they're like, yeah, okay. Something clicked for me this time. This is inspiring. I'm interested in this plant-based eating thing. Like what is your starting point that people come up to you at VegFest and they're like, okay, I want to go vegan. What do I do? You know, like, what do you tell people in that situation? Just, I know you can't give all the advice you want, but where do, where do you tell people to start? That there are so many great conversations at VegFest this year. There is something unique about this. And I think with all with people being held up at home, I don't know what yeah. it was. It just, there was just a lot of heart in it. Like people aren't holding back. They're just coming out. I feel like really hitting me with, with things on a, a little bit of a deeper level. Like they've been studying themselves for the last couple mm. of years, which is great. Um, study the heck out of yourselves. Actually, that just might be step one. Step one is what do you want to see <laughs> happen? Um, if you woke up, so there's a bit of visualization, visualization here that people can start with. If you woke up tomorrow in your ideal state of health, how would that person eat? Wow. How would that person think? And how would that person feel? So now what we're doing is we're blending in an image, which isn't a bad thing to have an image. If it's a size or a, you know, whatever, let's just be real, whatever that image might be of your body. Mm -hmm. Some people might not care what the size of their body is. So then we're going to dive more into the feel. How do you want to feel? Yeah. Yep. And how do you want to think? Because food is at the center of all of that. Our digestive system has a direct link to our emotions and our brain health, our immunity. It is all related. So we have to get to the core of what do you want to see happen? Yeah. And what's tricky is we often want something that we aren't ready to act on and that's another relationship that we do need to talk about, um, particularly you know, in the diabetes world. We have to do these things to stay alive. This is a chore. We've got to do it every single day. But where are you in making the change, you know, changing from the things that you once learned, shifting away from these things? Because we've all learned stuff when it comes to nutrition that's probably not great. 
right? We either grew up with some food trauma, maybe we were forced to eat things we didn't want to eat. And that created this relationship with, I don't eat anything that is of a certain texture or a certain color because of that. Yeah, really exists in our relationship with food. So where people start is getting really internal. What do you want? What is your challenge? What is your trauma? Um, It might not have anything to do with weight. And that really helps someone like me get to the core of this is what we're working to heal. We are healing our relationship with food in order to get healthier. It is a whole process. So from there, we start tapping into here's how we add to your nutrition. It's about abundance, not restriction. Abundance, abundance, abundance. So um, grocery store. Uh, We fill in the blanks. What are you not eating that you could be eating more of? So grocery lists and then looking at your grocery stores, looking at the access that you have wherever you live is really important because I can work with people all over the country. I mean, just like this, right? We can, we can, I don't, you know, you could be in Spain right now. (laughs) It's it's, it's like, we're in this really cool place where we can have meaningful conversations with the right people and dive into practically sitting right next to them. Tell me what your local grocery stores look like. What do you like to do? Do you want to be a microwave chef? Cool. Let's do that. Yeah. So we strategize. It's all about a strategy and abundance, not restriction. And a side effect of doing that and becoming healthier is weight loss, or -hmm. it's becoming a better athlete, or it's having um, healthier blood sugar control or what we might call time in range. I mean, you can like these labels and diabetes are so messed up. Wow. We have to have them to understand what we're talking about, but literally time and range is a measurement. Now it's parameters to help us, you know, avoid Sounds like a loaf of bread or something like totally. Yeah, I know. And it's, it's just like, this is what was important to me is to understand. I have to be on both sides. I have to know what people yeah. are hearing that would be like my opposition so that I can create something more positive as a result of the way it makes me feel. Cause it still makes yeah. me feel like an 11 year old kid. Who's a screw up because she likes cake. <laughs> Just like, yes, stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, plant-based nutrition, it completely saved my life. It completely changed my mind. And it made me realize that there are so many things that we need to focus on in our, the health of our body that we, we tend to just jump right over. So we, we got to dig into that dirty stuff, just like I explained in my story, um, to heal. I like, I just want that sound bite. I just want to send out to the world <laughs> like that little, that bit was so, you know, the whole interview has been amazing, but that, I think you so succinctly stated, like, here's what you've got to do to get on the level you actually want to be at. And sometimes we don't want to admit the things that we're going to have to do. And that's hard. That's part of it. And I, I think that's so beautiful. I just realized that I was so freaking excited to talk to you. I usually start the podcast with one question that's the same for everyone. <laughs> and I blew past that. So 53 minutes later, uh, the podcast is called Consciously Clueless. This idea of being conscious and clueless and figuring out. And I always like to ask people, where are you feeling in this moment? Are you feeling pretty conscious? You feeling a little clueless? You, what? Where are you at right here? Ooh, well, let's see. No wrong answers. How do I feel? I feel pretty awake right now. That's Mm -hmm. where I'm going to go with it. I've had a lot of trouble sleeping. My brain's been very heavy. I've made some huge changes lately in the direction of my career. Um, And I just feel like, um, I don't know, I'm ready to blow out some energy, you know? Yeah, I guess that's just. I mean, I think a word my friends would say is you better say you feel badass because that's kind of a, 
a term a lot of my friends give me is, you know, this badass dietitian kind of a thing because I tend to I give you the same out. term. <laughs> um so but yeah, it's it's just this is great, Carly. I, I feel um I hope I feel really actually super grateful to anybody listening who's like having having a moment right now who's just like, mm. yeah, I have a story and I'm pissed too. <laughs> yeah. Um I love that. I I want you to pull that dirty stuff up and out and look at it. Yeah. And if I can, you know, use some of my energy to help people do that, then um I'm I'm okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more, and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon. In 2016, Mint Mobile was born because its founders thought that Big Wireless was, well, dumb. So they decided it was time to create a smarter wireless company, one that extends its middle finger to conventional truths while also pointing out where Big Wireless is letting people down. They're online only. You can buy plans that are three month, six month, 12 month, no contracts, choose to stay as long as you want. There are no overages. There's no surprises. There's just no BS. And for someone who lives in a remote area like myself, I can attest to the fact that the service is great and I have truly had no problems and oftentimes is better than the big wireless companies I was with before. To find out more about how Mint Mobile can work for you, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you. Mm-hmm.